tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus. A probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. There are a lot of things that influence developing an addiction, and none of them are that we're weak-willed losers. In the Sober Powered Podcast, you'll learn how and why addiction develops, how alcohol changes the brain to keep us drinking, and most importantly, that you're not alone. The things you experience are experienced by many of us. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about resilience. Being able to get through hardship without self-destructing is key to maintaining our sobriety. 
I'll explain what resilience is, some research on how this impacts sobriety, and other skills that contribute to resilience and staying sober. At the end of the episode, I'll go over five tips for developing resilience if this is something that you struggle with. So let's dig in. Resilience is a person's capability to persist, bounce back, and even thrive in the face of stressful circumstances and adversity. So thrive is a really key word here. Studies have found that resilience is protective against developing an addiction. So you might be thinking like, well, I've been through some serious stuff and I still developed a problem. So there's a difference between persisting, bouncing back and thriving in the face of stressful circumstances and adversity and just living through stressful circumstances and adversity. I think a lot of people assert that they are strong because they've been through a lot of hardship, but having bad things happen in your life doesn't necessarily make you strong and resilient. Being able to work through this hardship and persevere makes you strong and resilient. I've had a lot of bad things happen to me that I just survived. I always thought I was a resilient person, but I never worked through any of my stuff until much later in life. Having bad things happen to you and drinking them away or binge eating them away or pretending that they don't exist does not make you a resilient person. We have to learn how to be resilient. So that's why I think the word thrive is very important in the definition. So resilience is a person's ability to thrive in the face of stressful circumstances and adversity. So even though things are hard, you still persevere and thrive and do well in life and get through things. So every time I had something bad happen to me, I would deal with it in a few ways depending on my age. I would feel completely overwhelmed, out of control, and angry until I eventually got over it. I would restrict food, binge, or overexercise. Or, my favorite one obviously, I would drink. So these are all called maladaptive coping strategies. I would do these things and eventually I'd stop feeling so upset about whatever happened and move on. That's not resilience or strength though. This is blowing up your life until you eventually get over it. So back in episode 55, when I talked about how to power through when you want to give up, I actually explained the difference pretty well using my own experiences. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen after this one. But to summarize really quick, I had three very similar experiences in my life where a person in power, usually a man, implied or just outright said that I was stupid. The first time this happened to me, I stopped eating, got drunk every day, and exercised for about three hours a day. The second time, I got blackout drunk every single day for two weeks straight. The third time this happened, I was sober, and it was this past summer, and that was the purpose behind making that episode. So I had a very strong urge to get drunk and screw everyone, but I stayed sober, and I found the next day that I felt a lot better. The third time this happened, I was truly able to be resilient and persevere. I allowed myself to experience what happened, feel whatever I was going to feel about it, talk through it with my therapist and other people that I trust, and actually take care of myself. We all have bad things happen to us, some a lot more than others, but just having bad things happen to you 
doesn't make you resilient or strong. It's the way that you handle those things that makes you resilient and strong. Alcohol addiction is 50% genetic and 50% environmental, but resilience is also partially heritable. So studies have found that it could be as low as 31% and as high as 71% heritable, where addiction is about 50%. So a 2016 study from Sweden looked at resilience scores and the development of alcohol use disorder in almost 1.7 million men aged 17 to 25, with some of them being twins. So they assessed resilience using a nine-point scale that rated the person's functioning in school, work, home environment, and free time, as well as in emotional stability. So this scale is also used as part of the evaluation for the Swedish military to predict an individual's ability to deal with stressful situations. And this type of scale has also been referred to as stress susceptibility and psychological strength. I'll link some resilience questions in the show notes if you're interested in checking them out. And I'll send out the resilience test in my weekly email on Thursday. So if you don't get emails from me, please use the link in the show notes to sign up. But basically, this test asks questions like, past success gives me confidence. I believe I can achieve my goals even if there are obstacles. Under pressure, I stay focused and think clearly. I am not easily discouraged by failure. I am able to handle unpleasant or painful feelings like sadness, fear, and anger. And I know where to turn to for help. Each one of these is rated with zero being not true at all, and the highest number, sometimes that's four, or other times it's eight, being true all the time. So then the score is added up, and the higher the score, the higher the person's resilience. Of all the components of resilience, social maturity, interest, psychological energy, home environment, and emotional control, social maturity had the biggest impact on the risk of developing alcohol use disorder in this study. This study and several others have found that resilience substantially reduced the risk of developing a problem with alcohol. So this study found that a one-point increase in resilience score was associated with a 29% decrease in the odds of having a problem with alcohol. And it's important to note that this is true on the low end of the scale. So at the higher end of the scale, a one-point increase in resilience is not that big of a deal. But in the lower end, so people that are not very resilient, if you increase your resilience just by one point on the scale, your risk of developing a problem with alcohol goes down by about 29%. And looking at the data from twins, they found that overlapping genetic and shared environmental factors contributed to both increased resilience and reduced risk for alcohol use disorder. So resilience can have something to do with our genetics and also how we're raised. But if you're an adult with low resilience, that doesn't mean that you're hopeless. You can always develop your resilience. Emotion differentiation predicts how we are able to handle things. So this skill is your ability to identify how you are feeling beyond good, bad, or fine. If you can't understand how you feel, then you can't use your emotions as a source of information to inform how you should act and respond to situations. 
People who struggle with emotion differentiation will often dwell on, misinterpret, and amplify their feelings, making negative emotions unmanageable. So I think the amplify part here is really important. So if you feel overwhelmed and out of control all the time, then you may be a person who struggles with emotion differentiation. And that was definitely a struggle that I had because I was overwhelmed like every single day for my whole childhood and young adult life. And what you do when you can't determine how you feel and why you feel that way is you will amplify bad feelings and make them so much worse and so much stronger. Studies have linked struggling to identify emotions with using self-destructive strategies to try to reduce negative emotions like drugs, alcohol, and binge eating. And people who can distinguish how they are feeling are much more successful at regulating their emotions. So if you can't determine how you feel and why, and that causes you to make your feelings much bigger than they need to be, you are more likely to binge eat, drink, or use drugs to bring your feelings back down to a manageable level. So because we can't understand how we feel and why, our emotions feel overwhelming and out of control. So then we have to use something like food, alcohol, or drugs that gives us instant gratification so that we can bring ourselves back down to normal. A 2010 study looked at emotion differentiation and number of drinks a person will consume in 30 days. And this study looked at about 100 underage social drinkers. So they found that people who had a better ability to tell how they were feeling drank less. For people who struggled to identify their feelings, the more intense they reported their emotions, the more alcohol they drank. For example, people who felt less intense emotions and struggled to identify them drank 55 drinks in 30 days. But people who felt more intense emotions and struggled to identify them drank about 80 drinks in 30 days. When exposed to negative emotions, people with the ability to understand what emotions they are feeling consumed about three and a half drinks in one drinking session. And people with low emotion differentiation skills consumed about five and a half drinks. So that's a big difference. That's the difference between social drinking and binge drinking. So in sobriety, resilience would involve handling cravings and impulses, working through negative emotions without self-destructing, and developing adaptive coping strategies instead of relying on drinking, emotional eating, yelling at people, or whatever else. So here are five ways that you can work on your resilience right now. And of course, I always encourage you to do this work with a therapist too because therapy is a great place to learn how to manage your emotions. So number one, perspective. We can only fully understand our own experience. Maybe your boss was rude to you because they had a fight with their partner before work. Maybe it has nothing to do with how much you suck or that they're definitely going to fire you. A resilient perspective understands that it's not all about us all the time. Staying stuck in defeatist thinking like this will not allow you to grow and thrive. So instead of making it all about yourself, consider other perspectives. Play devil's advocate with yourself. Number two, self-awareness and emotion recognition. Understanding what you are feeling and why you are feeling that way 
is key to staying sober and not picking up some other self-destructive coping mechanism. The first step to getting here is by becoming self-aware. Check in with yourself. How are you feeling beyond good, bad, or fine? If you're upset, retrace your steps and try to figure out what set off this negative feeling. The more you understand your emotions and where they came from, the less overwhelmed and out of control you will feel. And then the less triggers that you have to drink or do something else to bring that overwhelming feeling back down to normal. Number three, self-reflection. We all make mistakes and incorrect assumptions. Reflect back on the mistakes that you've made recently and try to consider what you could do differently in the future. It's easy to make assumptions about what other people mean by their behavior or words and then react based on those assumptions. So I'll give you an example. My husband is a normal social drinker and once every few weeks he'll go to the bar after work with coworkers. When he does this, he usually stays really late till like 11 o'clock at night on a work night. And for years, every time he'd do it, I'd get mad. It felt like he didn't care about me, was probably tucking other women and doing all this other stuff that was bad. And I would ruminate on the number of hours he was spending at the bar. Now, I recognize he really doesn't go out often. And when he does, he prefers to go out for a long time. Sure, I wish he could be like me and go out maybe more often for two hours and then leave, but he's not me. So I need to consider his perspective. It's just the way that he is. So I could continue to get mad at him and wish that he was like me and make him feel like he's not allowed to go out. Or I could just accept that that's the way that he is and realize that he loves me. Him going to the bar is no reflection on how much he cares about me, and I trust him, and I know he's not going just to flirt with other women. So because I've spent so much time reflecting on this, now I handle him going out so much better, and since he feels like he can go out without starting a fight or making me feel bad, sometimes he even comes home early because he wants to spend time with me before bed. So it's a win-win. Not everyone is going to be exactly like you. They're not going to behave exactly like you. So reflecting and considering their perspective might help a lot. Number four, set goals and consider future you. We need to stop expecting instant gratification. Real happiness and fulfillment takes work and effort. Stop expecting to feel relaxed, happy, connected to people, or to start having fun instantly. And recognize that true relaxation, happiness, connection, and fun take time. When you become more willing to put in the work, it's easier to resist instant gratification choices because you start to consider the future. Sure, you're stressed out from work, but is future you going to be glad that you ate an entire pizza? Will future you be happy that you had 15 drinks? Will future you appreciate how you skipped the gym again even though you skipped it the past three days. And my last tip, tip number five, is to work on being more objective. Try to remove your emotions and triggers from your decision-making process. So this goes with perspective and all the other ones we talked about too. What's the reality of the situation? If we're talking about drinking, for example, because we talk about that a lot on the Sober Powered Podcast, Don't just consider the first two hours. Think about the whole drinking experience from when you start craving it to whenever the shame or self-hatred or hangover ends. 
So one drinking experience most likely goes into the next day. When you think objectively, you're removing your feelings and hopes from it and instead just focusing on the truth. Don't get stuck focusing on potential or how attached to something or someone you are. Think about the truth and what your past experiences have shown you. With moderation, I was obsessed with extending those first two hours of drinking to the whole night. But when I look at the truth, I see I never moderated and I never had a good drinking experience. I either humiliated myself, threw up, blacked out, fought with my husband, or did have two drinks, but then thought it was a waste of my time. And that's my reality. Not the potential that maybe someday I can moderate in the future because alcohol is so important and I don't want to let it go. So try to look at the facts. Facts over feelings sometimes. So remember, just surviving hardship does not make you resilient. You're resilient when you face your problems and you get through them and you work on things. Not when you avoid or numb out or drink to cope or emotionally eat and then eventually you just kind of survive the thing. That's not what resiliency is all about. Resiliency is about getting through hard things and thriving even though you have difficulty in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review for the podcast and a five-star rating and maybe share it with a friend. And I will talk to you next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips i'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so so inspiring i'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking in fact it's very much the opposite and no matter what your relationship was with alcohol life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober new episodes come out every tuesday you can listen to happiest sober podcast wherever you get your podcasts